How many of you, you just love fall? You're like, I'm into fall. How many of you are like, I know when we come to fall, I know what comes after fall, right? Because I know you guys, you like your uh, pumpkin spice, frappe, mochaccino, latte, whatever drink, pumpkin flavor stuff you like. How many of you like the pumpkin flavored stuff? You're like, I'm into it. Four of you. Okay, well, a lot of you guys are into it. We, um, we, we've been going through a series in uh, the book of Acts, and I just think that <clears throat> going through the book of Acts is so timely with what we're going through in our world today. And what we've been looking at is how the church in its infancy was started and the amount of opposition that faced the church just to get off the ground, not only internally opposition of, of getting people just to get along who were at odds with each other, uh, but also the outward opposition uh, from persecution. Uh, and so the church faced so much opposition, but yet God was with her. And, and you and I are here today because God is faithful to his church and he will continue to be faithful to his church and to see us through if we indeed are faithful to him and his word. Amen? Are you guys awake this morning? Maybe you needed a little frappe, mocha, <laughs> pumpkin spice this morning. And so we've been going through that. And I want to look at, if you've got your Bibles, uh, you're following along around your phones or you can follow along on the screens. We're going to be in Acts chapter 12 today. Very interesting story of opposition from without. And, and what the church did in the, in the face of severe persecution and what God did in the midst of the church. And, it's, and I just believe it's something that we need to learn today, not only as we as the church. How many know that as the church and as God works through each and every one of us, every single individual in the body of Christ is vital for the move of God to go forward? Never believe that your life doesn't matter within the context of the church. Your story, how Christ changed you, the gifts that God has given you, is vital for the church to move forward. So the more we avail ourselves to God and say, God, use me for your purposes and glory, the more God is glorified in the body. And we need each other. If we learned anything from COVID, it's like, man, we need to be together. We, we can't, I mean, if you look at the ordinance of Christ, baptism, what a great baptismal service last week if you were here and, and taking communion together. The church is a community and we need each other. And so I am thankful for the body of Christ. And what we're going to see here today is how the community of Christ came together in very uncertain times. So let's jump right into the word today. Acts chapter 12, we're going to be going through the, the the whole chapter jumping around, but I want to first look at the first five verses. We know that Luke wrote Acts. This is a historical account of the early church and what God did through the Acts of the Apostles. And so we're looking at these different stories of how God worked mightily through the early church. And we're going to be looking at a story about the Apostle Peter today. So let's start with verse 1. It says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. Let me put a pin there. Stephen is just martyred, stoned to death, and now there's this great persecution that is broken out over the church. 
So what King Herod was doing was he was intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers east. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for, to God for him. I want you to see something here right off the bat. We see we see. Tremendous persecution that's coming against Peter. And then we see the church at this moment earnestly praying and interceding for Peter with what he's going through. I want you to see something with with this persecution that came against the church. You would think, well, man, the church is just hanging on by a thread. I mean, the the church is, is, is just, you know, just barely surviving. But what I want you to see what happens here is not only did the church survive, but it actually thrived under persecution. Because when we are persecuted for what we believe in Christ Jesus, it will reveal what we're truly trusting. When you are persecuted for what you believe, it causes you to dig in to your faith, to cause your roots to grow deeper in your faith in Christ Jesus. And guess what? God used persecution to expand that early church in amazing ways. And so as we walk through our world today, how many know that we will be persecuted for our faith in Christ Jesus? But one thing that God will do is it will reveal our own hearts and it will cause us to grow deeper in him, expanding his kingdom. So the book of Acts really gives us hope for today that God still works through fragile people and still empowers us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that worked in the early church is the same Holy Spirit that's working through us today to give us power, to give us gifts, to expand the kingdom of God and work for his glory. And so as we've been discussing about the book of Acts this summer, we discovered that God works through difficult circumstances. He works through tough situations. And so as we've been studying Acts, we see this tremendous persecution over the church. We see Stephen, he's just martyred uh, for his faith in Christ Jesus. And so now we are, here we are at Acts chapter 12. And let me give you a little context here uh, behind this chapter. Um, as, As the word mentioned, Herod Agrippa was the grandson of Herod the Great. And if you remember about Herod the Great, he ruled Judea when Jesus was born. And he was the one that wanted to have Jesus killed. And so that's why Mary and Joseph fleed uh, from that persecution. Herod Agrippa had much, much power in this area and ruled a very large area because of his friendship with the Roman emperors. And so he was ruthless in his dealings specifically with the church. Now you may ask, why, was, why, why did Herod have, you know, why did he have such animosity towards the church? Well, what he was doing was he was being sympathetic towards the Jews. They're seeing the church grow and they don't like this. So what they're going to do is they're going to go after the leaders of this Jesus movement that they actually called the way. They're going to come after the leaders and they thought, by, by persecuting the leaders, by killing the leaders, it would squash 
the movement of God so they wouldn't have to listen to these Jesus people any longer that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he's sympathetic towards the Jews and Agrippa actually claimed to be a Jew because his grandfather married a Jewish woman. So actually he could legitimately make a claim according to Jewish law. And so this worked for his favor. This worked for Agrippa politically, and this is really what he's at, because he wants to grow politically. He wants to grow in, in power. And so by sympathizing with the Jews, this worked for him uh, politically. And uh, for, for Rome's concern, uh, they were concerned with keeping peace in this area. So by squashing the church and eliminating any kind of uproar, or uprising, this would hopefully squash everything, but it it didn't work. Obviously, it didn't work. Persecuting the church uh, worked for Agrippa's favor with the Jews. But obviously, God used that for the expansion of his kingdom. And so he had James killed, and now he has Peter arrested. And the reason for Peter not being persecuted right at this time was for the reason of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So Peter being arrested and put in prison meant certain execution for him. James has just been executed. We see Stephen stoned to death. So this meant meant execution. But but, but at this point, Peter has a little respite. He's, he's not... Uh, going to go to prison at this time because of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the reason why is Jewish law would not allow execution during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was during this time uh, there could be no trials or sentencing. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread was observed seven days following the Passover meal. And so this unleavened bread was to be eaten at this time, symbolizing how they left Egypt. And the way they left Egypt was what? In haste. And so they didn't have time for their bread to rise. So when God said, you're going to leave, I'm going to uh, rescue you from Egyptian oppression, and they were to leave in haste. And so the unleavened bread represented the way they left Egypt in haste. So during this week, it's interesting, during this week of unleavened bread, it was a time to reflect on their departure from bondage in Egypt and how God was their deliverer. And it's interesting, at the time that they're celebrating unleavened bread and remembering how God was their deliverer, we see Peter in prison, and we're going to see how God was actually Peter's deliverer and how ultimately God would use this situation for his glory. So after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Peter most likely would have been tried and executed. And so what Herod did was he went to extreme measures to assure that Peter would not escape. And so this is what he did. He had 16 guards for one man. He had 16 guards to watch Peter. And so the, the situation looked just hopeless for Peter. And so what does, the ch- what does the church do next? Well, what the church does next is really incredible. I, just, I want you to understand the importance of what prayer is in our lives. What, what the church does next is, is exactly what God wants us to do. There's so many times, listen, the proclivity of our heart is to always look for answers in the physical. Like, hey, we got to get a mob together. Let's storm the castle. Let's, let's get our pitchforks and let's get our lanterns and let's get, you know, let's just go in and tell them this is wrong and you can't, you know, put Peter, this is wrong what you're doing. They didn't do that. I want you to see what the church did. Instead of fighting against the sword or against the guards or in the physical, they prayed. The church got together and began to intercede for Peter in this situation. And you see the community of God working together. 
the church could have walked in fear. They could have thought, well, we're small and the Roman Empire is, is huge. How can we fight against them? But they understood the God that they served, that he did this before and he can do it again. The church didn't relinquish they were told, we were told that they prayed earnestly and fervently. Now, I can't stress this enough, how important it is for us to pray. To pray for each other, to pray for the church, to pray individually, because what God needs to do is God needs to re- reveal in our hearts what his will is. And so many times we'll see a situation and it looks bleak and it looks like, how is God going to work that out? And when we seek God's face and we seek his will, it's amazing how God shows us his plans and how he works out his will in our lives when we relinquish ourselves to him in obedience. So it's easy for us to resort to worry, to try to figure things out in, my own, in our own wisdom. But what the church did is they said, we're just going to pray. We're going to earnestly and fervently pray. And that's what I love what the church did here. In fact, the word earnestly and fervently are the same type of praying that Jesus was doing in the garden before his death in Luke chapter 22 that's recorded for us in verse 44 where he began to actually sweat drops of blood as he fervently prayed before going to the cross. So when the church was praying, they were praying. They were, they were on their face before God for Peter and the situation that faced him because they knew it was a bleak situation. But I want you to see the dichotomy here. Rome with its army and its military might, and then you've got this small group of people who are praying who are seeking God's face. Listen, we don't know all the things that are going on behind the scenes, but God does. And we have to realize that we are in a spiritual battle, not of flesh and blood, but a spiritual battle that we don't necessarily see, but God does. And that's what prayer does. It makes us seek the will of God. It makes God uh, relinquish us to what God wants for us in our lives. Now, what's interesting here is, in verse 6, as we go on in chapter 12, it's, it's really interesting to me what happens next. So you've got the church praying. They're fervently, earnestly praying on their face before God. And then you've got Peter in prison. And look, look what the scripture says next in verse 6. It says, The night before Harold was to bring him to trial, which meant ex- probably most likely 100% execution, it says Peter was doing what? Peter's chilled out. Peter's sleeping. You got the church praying fervently on their face before God, and you got Peter sleeping. Does he not care? Does Peter not know what's going on? Doesn't Peter know that tomorrow, most likely, he's going to be executed? And what's he doing? He's sleeping between two guards. Guess what? That's exactly what Peter should be doing. I'm going to tell you why. So just, I'm glad you came today because this is good. I'm glad you're online today because this is good. Peter should, what's going on here? You've got the church praying and you've got Peter sleeping. Now, you would think that Peter was doing the opposite. Let me just, can I, can we just stick ourselves in this situation for just a moment? Can we just do this for a moment? Listen, if I knew the next day I was going to be persecuted for my faith, I don't know if I'd be in a deep REM sleep. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'd be pacing. I'm like, gosh, what's going to happen? Oh, geez, I, I hope the church is praying. I hope, I hope the church isn't asleep. I hope those that are praying for me aren't asleep. But just the opposite. The church is doing what it's supposed to be doing, and Peter is doing what he's supposed to be doing. And so, but you would think the opposite. He's not anxious. 
He shows no sign of fret. He's asleep. Listen, you don't sleep. And, and I'm going to show you in the scripture, if you think I'm off base here, I'm going to show you in the scripture that he was in deep REM sleep here. He was out. He was sleeping. And so you have him sleeping. And listen, when you're in a deep sleep, you're sleeping. You're not anxious. You're not fretting. See, when we fret and, we anx- and we're anxious and a million things are going through our minds, guess what? We're not sleeping. Don't you love those nights when you wake up? Right? And then you can't get back to sleep or you can't get to sleep because so many things are running in your mind. Like, what's going to happen tomorrow? What am I going to do? How's this going to work out? And your mind just runs and you just can't fall asleep. Peter is sleeping. Peter is sleeping. And I believe this is the reason why. Peter has a peace that passes all understanding, that guarded his heart and his mind in Christ Jesus. Peter knows that he is in the hands of Christ. No matter death or rescue, he knew that he was in the hands of Christ. The church is praying, and God is giving Peter peace to sleep. Let me ask you a question. How are you sleeping? Now, I'm not asking you if you got five hours of sleep last night or six hours or nine hours of sleep last night. I hate you if you got nine hours of sleep last night. Okay? I'm not, I'm not asking you that. I'm asking you, is it well with your soul? Listen, th- there is nothing in this world, and if we haven't learned that over the last eight months, I don't know what we'll teach us then, There is nothing in this world that can ever give you complete security. We live in a world that's changing and passing away before our very eyes. And if you're trusting this world for your security, you will be gravely disappointed. And so the peace that Peter had was in Christ that was a solid foundation for him who conquered the grave for him, that he knew that he would be with him in eternity and didn't care what men could do to him, but cared more about what could happen to his soul if it wasn't right before God. You see, what we do is we look for things in this world to try to fill our lives with that security. But how many know it just lasts for a time? It lasts for a moment. And then we're, we're looking for more and more things to fill our hearts with security. And then when things like COVID happen or whatever, it just shows us that we aren't as secure as we think we are without God. And so what God does is he comes us to rescue us from those fears, those insecurities of whatever may happen in this world. Jesus conquered this world for us. He told his disciples, listen, I want to give you my peace. But listen, in this world, you're going to have what? Tribulation. You're going to have hardships. But take heart, I've overcome what? This world. Jesus overcame it. So here's, here's Peter sleeping. Here's Peter sleeping. That's why the best thing you can do for me as your pastor is pray for me. You know why? I want to sleep. <laughs> I need sleep, right? And, and I know, like, and I've shared this story before, you know, on Sunday afternoons is probably my most vulnerable time because after you preach on a Sunday morning, I don't know what it is, but it's just like, man, did, did people receive the message? God, did you touch hearts? And so, you know, I'm like, that's why I tell Kathleen, don't critique my message on Sunday because if you do, I'll just curl up in a fetal position with my thumb in my mouth. So just, you know, it's just, and that's, and, and so if I get that, that 20 minute, 
power nap or isn't it great just to take a nap sometimes? How many of you just love to take a nap once in a while? Listen, those of you with young children, let's just pray for them. <laughs> Lord Jesus, let them get a nap. Um, I love those those power naps, right? And you just feel refreshed. And so I know when I get a nap on Sunday, I'm like, somebody's praying for me. No, I'm just teasing. So thank you for your prayers all the time for me. But why could Peter sleep? Well, the reason why Peter could sleep is that he understood that Christ was in control. Christ was in control. It was well with his soul. It was well with his soul. So as Peter is in this deep sleep, this is how I know he was in a deep sleep, an angel of the Lord comes and wakes him between the two prison guards. This is kind of cool. Let's go on. This gets really good. This part is so funny to me. If you don't think God has a sense of humor, he does things in really cool ways. I love what God does here. Look at verse 7 and 8. It says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Now, how many of you, the minute the light comes up, you're up? I mean, any kind of light shows in your room, you're up. So you've got an angel of the Lord. The whole cell is lit up. Do you think that would wake Peter up? No. That's why I know he was in REM sleep. He was in deep, deep sleep. So what happens? I love how um, Luke gives us the details, the whole details here. It just cracks me up. So this light shines in the cell, and then what happens next? He struck Peter on the side to wake him up. Peter, get up, man. What are you doing? So he smacks Peter to wake him up. And so Peter, he says, get up, get up, he said. And then at that moment, the chains fall off Peter's wrist. And then the angel says to him, and this is just funny to me. He says, okay, Peter, I woke you up. The chains are off. Peter's like, what is going, what in the world's going on? I was nice rest. I'm in the sleep. Now this angel comes into my thing. The chains are off. And then he says, put on your clothes and your sandals. You think that's the last thing Peter's thinking about? Okay, I'll put on my... And then he says, then he says, then he says, then he says. He says, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel wants him to be warm and toasty. Now, who says that angels don't have feelings? They do. They Angels care. I mean, this is... I love... That's just me. I'm weird like that. But I love the details in there. So there's this bright light. Peter wakes up. He thinks he's dreaming. The angel smacks him, tells him to get dressed. The next thing you know... Peter is no longer chained. The angel tells him, okay, get up, get dressed, put on your sandals, don't forget your cloak, and I want you to go to the house, you know, go to where the people are praying for you. So the angel wanted to make sure Peter was warm and, and toasty and go to the house where the people are praying for you. So P- Peter goes and then goes to the house where the, the people are, are praying for him. Now, it, this gets even funnier. So let's go on to verse 13 and 14. So Peter goes to the house where they're in fervent, earnest prayer for Peter. So he gets there, and let's see what it says. Peter knocks on the door, on the entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda comes and answers the door, and when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. It doesn't even open the door. And Peter goes, what do I got to do? Get another angel to open up the door, to let me in, to, to, to talk to the people that are praying for me? That, that just cracked me up. So she didn't let Peter in, and you know, Peter's thinking, what, what is going on? And so as she goes in to tell her, but they're like, you're crazy. What are you, have you seen an angel? I mean, you know, have you ever prayed for something and then it happens and then you're surprised God answered your prayer? I mean, the, I'm glad that people in the early church are no different from us. I mean, they're actually surprised that God answers their prayer. Here's they're fervently praying for him and they're just, they're overjoyed. And so the story, this story is amazing to me. 
And, and, and I want to I wanna just give you a couple lessons here from this story that, that's amazing to me. And so if you're taking notes, this, is, this point I think is so important. Point number one, angels will smack you in the middle of the night. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I, you know, listen, I know that sounds funny, but listen, that actually has happened to me in the middle of the night. I've been smacked. Like I've woken up out of a dead sleep and I've asked Kathleen about it the next day and I'm like, you know, Maybe I was snoring. I don't know. And I asked Kathleen, I go, did you hit me in the middle of the night? You know, she goes, no, maybe it was an angel. You know, Acts chapter 12. You know, angels, they do come around and just kind of smack people. So I, I don't know if I believe her or not. I don't know what's going on there. No, I'm just teasing. He, here's what I want you to see. For Peter, for Peter, there's a couple of lessons I want you to get here. That what could have overwhelmed Peter's heart was not just being in prison, but the prison of doubt that could have gripped him. I think, let let me run with this for just a minute. Let me run with this for just a minute. I think Peter, when he was in prison and the reason he could sleep, I think Peter is thinking back to a conversation he had with Jesus. Now, if you remember at the end of the book of John, the gospel of John, Jesus, after his resurrection, spends time with the disciples before his ascension. And there's this really interesting conversation that Jesus has with Peter speaking about the persecution that he would have to endure for his sake, for Jesus' sake. And he tells people, will, you know, tells Peter, will you follow me? Feed my sheep, will you follow me? And Peter's kind of annoyed in a way, but it's like, yeah, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to follow you. He, you know, he's telling him, you're going to have to give your life for me. It, you know, Jesus having a really honest conversation about persecution. And so what Peter does is, Peter looks over to John as Jesus having this in-depth conversation about persecution, and he looks at John, he says, well, what about him? And Jesus says, don't worry about him. Don't, don't, don't worry about him. This is the path that I've chosen for you. Now let's, let's follow this, because this is where doubt can imprison us. How many of you have ever compared your life with other people? Every single one of us in this room. Haven't we done that? We're like, why am I going through this and why haven't they gone through this, right? Have you ever peered over into your neighbor's yard, right, and see what they're doing? And if they start building a deck or something, you're like, yeah, that's, boy, that's not, you know, you're looking over, saying, what are they doing over there? What's going on, you know? Honey, we need a deck too. We need, this, you know, we need more flour, whatever. You know, have you ever done that? And it's like, all of a sudden, we become discontent. And we're like, God, why am I going through this? And we, and we lock ourselves in this prison of, of, of doubt and comparison. Listen, the road to f- of following Christ is marked with many trials and tribulations. It's plainly explained to that for us in the word of God. But in the midst of those trials and persecution, Jesus says, I want to give you my peace so that you can sleep that it's well with your soul. And I believe Peter could have very easily been thinking about that conversation, knowing that this is the road that you've chosen for me. That's going to be one of the hardest things that you will do as a follower of Christ, knowing that, God, I, gotta, I have to accept your will in my life. And I know that you love me, that you'll never forsake me, that you'll never leave me. 
And I believe when we can get those promises deep within our spirit, knowing that even though we're going through these trials and difficulties in our lives, knowing that God is with us, he will give you a rest in your soul that nothing in this world could ever give you. And that's the peace that Jesus is talking about. A peace in your soul knowing that no matter what happens, we get Jesus. In the end, I'm with him. And this world is not our home. And there's a lot of great things that happen in this world. And I'm thankful for all the blessings that God gives us. But God says, don't look to these things in this world to bring the complete fulfillment in your heart and life. They will only leave you disappointed. But realize what's waiting for those of you who have put your trust in God. And I believe that's why Peter had such a peace that was beyond understanding of anything in this world. See, when we're going through pain and trials, we, we say, what's happening to me? Or, or we may say, God, do you really love me? Have you ever said that to yourself when you're just, you're like, man, this next thing happened. Next, and, and we start to doubt the love of God for us. Or did I do something wrong? You know, God, what, what did I do wrong? And thank God for God's forgiveness that he gives us when we do make mistakes. God's grace and mercy is always there. His forgiveness is always there to restore us. But there's some things that happen in our lives that are just beyond our control. And then we wonder, God, did I do something wrong? Why did these things keep going wrong in my life? And, and Peter could have easily thought that way. He could have easily said, what did I do wrong? Why well, I'm in prison. Well, how come you know, this person isn't? But, but think about it for a moment. Here's what's really difficult is that when you look at the lives of the, of, of, of the apostles and you look at this story, you've got Stephen who was killed at that moment, moments you know, before, you've, you have James who was killed, and then you have Peter who was rescued. How come, how come God rescues Peter at this time, which Peter would eventually die a martyr's death? Why is he rescued, but James and Stephen weren't? You see, this is where Peter relinquished himself to the will of God, knowing that, God, this is the path you have me on, and I'm going to trust you through it, and I'm not going to doubt your promises, and I'm not going to doubt your goodness, that you are still a faithful God. And I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to do that, to look at what other people are going through or why am I going through and other people are going through this or why did that person go through that and I'm not going through that or why. And it's easy to do that, but that will put us in a prison of doubt and uncertainty. And we end up doubting the character of God and the love of God for our lives and the promises of God that he desires to give to us. You see, James, John, and Peter were all committed to Christ in obedience to him. Here's what I want you to understand. The disciples understood that a life lived for Christ would not be easy and they knew persecution would come. And Jesus simply told them that. However, however, they did not doubt the character of God and God's goodness in their lives. So when we're going through our struggles in our lives, listen, God's character never changes. His goodness never changes. And, and I don't know why God does certain things certain ways. I, I don't know. I stop, I stop trying to figure all that stuff out because it just will drive you crazy. But I do know one thing. 
is that God said he would never leave us or forsake us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Just remind yourself of that always. and Fill your heart with the character of God, that he is always with us and never forsakes us. And I want you to understand that God is still good. And they knew what waited for them was far greater than anything that this world could give them. That's why Peter could sleep with this impending trial before him. His soul was well before God. He knew that Jesus would not forsake him. So I want to ask you a question this morning. How are you sleeping? How are you sleeping? Are you anxious? Are you overwhelmed by the things in your life? How is your soul with God? Do you feel like you're far from the Lord? Do you feel like you've drifted away spiritually from the Lord? I want you to realize that God wants to draw you near. He wants to draw you to his side. He wants to eliminate the fears and the doubt that you have in your heart. That doesn't mean that you're not going to wake up tomorrow morning and that same circumstance is going to face you, but what's totally different is he wants to give you his peace and that rest that we all need. Um, I love this story of Corrie Ten Boom. Many of you have read her book, The Hiding Place, but she uh, was a survivor through a concentration camp in World War II. Her family hid Jews uh, during the Nazi uh, Holocaust. And one of my favorite quotes is actually from her. She says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Listen, I may not know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know my God. Do you know him? Are you trusting him? Let him give you his peace so that you can sleep. Some of you just need to sleep. You've allowed anxiety and fret and turmoil, all these things to grip your heart. And God says, I want to replace that anxiety with my peace. And even though that thing may be in front of you, whatever it might be, you can sleep because you know Christ is ultimately in control. So Father God, I, I just pray for every person in this room. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your love. And as our, just as we bow our hearts before you for just a moment, so good to hear the kids yelling in the background. That's good. I like that, Lord. I love, I love hearing that. But just as we bow our hearts for just a moment before you and as we sing this song unto you, I pray for anyone here that is just struggling, that, that just can't, quote-unquote, sleep. I pray, Lord, that they would reach out to you. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what trial or circumstance that we're part of or we're faced with, we're not alone, that you're with us. So Lord, I just pray for every heart here today that you would bring rest to their souls. That you would bring rest and peace to their souls in Christ Jesus. So we seek you today and we thank you 
that you give us your peace, Jesus. Reassuring us that you are with us and that we'll be with you in eternity. Change our hearts today, I pray. The ones that are anxious to ones that are trusting you. We thank you for your love today. How great is the Father's love for us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.